we as an agency had entered into the agency management system market in 1992. And at that point, we started with one of the biggest, one of the most well-known management systems of the time and had worked with them for years and years. And what we had found is that in the early 2000s, probably I could pinpoint this to something like 2003 or 2002, we start seeing the technology and the customer's need for communication and for the way that we were e-filing. This really started to take just tremendous jumps in this industry. And we were needing to find something. How can we attach emails? How can we attach images? How can we effectively transactional file? And what we were found is that particular vendor was not innovating in those areas that we felt were critical in order to, to best serve our clients and effectively serve them. So it was just by happenstance, one of our carriers had sent out an announcement saying, hey, we now do direct bill commissions download to this particular carrier. And I'd never heard of this carrier. I went out and I started reading a lot about this carrier and was just blown away by the user feedback that I was seeing and that I was reading on that. Most of it was the accessibility as a user to the carrier and the responsiveness that they would have in implementing these things. It also helped that all of those same situations, all of those features that we were really kind of feeling a little bit of heartburn on with not having, they they had that in there or they very quickly had that on the roadmap and no secret there that this particular carrier was Hawksoft. So in 2008, we embarked on about a three month analysis of the, the management system and what we had found, I used it side by side with this other management system. And what we found was that this was filling all of our needs, plus adding a tremendous amount of opportunity to us for how we could manage the agency. And that's everywhere from, you know, making diary entries of our conversations with our clients all the way up through the accounting. It was just so much more than what we had and uh, that's what caused us to make the switch to Hawksoft and about a month and a half, two month process as far as the migration uh, got us up and running and, and we've never looked back. Hi, I'm George Patterson with Williamson Insurance Service in Zanesville, Ohio, and this is why we chose Hawksoft. Hey guys, it's Bradley. I want to tell you about Ascend. Ascend is not just another premium finance company. Ascend will solve all of your agency bill problems through automation of invoicing, premium financing, carrier payables, all the way to the end of the workflow. There's a lot of hidden costs with how you're doing business today. AMSs, CRMs can spend more than half the day chasing down payments, following up on non-pays, getting signatures for financing docs. This leads to an overworked, overwhelmed, unhappy team. And guys, you want your team to be happy. Industry's hard enough as it is. We really need them to be happy. As your agency grows, this issue gets worse and worse, and we typically solve the problem with a little bit of software, but a ton of manpower still involved. With Ascend, you can use a software-first solution and just need a little bit of manpower, allowing you to grow without significant increase in overhead. Ascend automates all of these repetitive payment processes so your team can get back to helping your clients. With Ascend, we've seen non-payment cancellations in our agency go down up to 95%. Teams save more than 20 hours per month when they work with Ascend and an average of a 75% decrease in payment-related customer questions. Guys, if people aren't calling your office with questions, you have more time to sell and grow your agency. Visit useascend.com backslash insurance, guys. Guys, Ascend makes agency bill as easy as direct bill, but you keep all of the benefits of agency bill the best of both worlds. Thanks, guys. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Hawksoft. God, I love Hawksoft. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. 
He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, man. How are you? I'm pissed off right now. Uh-oh. I walk outside, y'all. To the 250,000 agents listening right now, I walk outside. I've been saying this for months. The difference between my agency and Bradley Flowers' agency. In my agency, we're like a police department that's just gotten a call about a school shooting that's three miles down the road. Everybody is screaming, yelling, phones ringing off the hook. People are shouting, putting on body armor. The damn cell phones won't stop ringing. Scott, you got to call Miss Johnson. The adjuster just called her and said that he's denying her uh, water damage claim, and she ne- she wants you to call it. That's my agency. I just walked outside 15 minutes ago. Bradley's agency manager, hand to God on my son's life, <laughs> is sitting on a couch right here behind this wall that I'm sta- sitting at. It is Kenneth. so <laughs> quiet that you could hear a mouse pissing on cotton. He has a book open that looks to be the length of the book War and Peace with his legs crossed, and he is sitting there quietly reading a book like he is at the library at the University of Texas in Arlington, and he sits there for, I don't know, 30 minutes just quietly reading a book. Now... Somebody out there, call or text me and let me know what in the hell is going on here. We covered the bathroom. Is this like one of those damn, is this place like one of those, uh, you know, one of those uh, places you, that's in a strip center that sells mattresses and nobody ever goes in there? And this is like really a front for some kind of like drug cartel that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, we were in the bathroom and Scott's like, he's just out there reading a book. Ken's just out there reading. We, the, I didn't laugh, but now when you put it up against, when you make the comparison. Ken's out there reading the, uh, but what was that that group of books that we got when we were kids that your parents had to buy? The Encyclopedia Britannica. Ken's out there reading Encyclopedia Britannica on the couch while. So that he's he's on his lunch break. Holy shit. When he, when he, when he, he, when he goes on lunch, he, and he's, a, he reads a book. Usually it's something to do with business. He know. looked like the calmest. Yeah. Folks, I'm just going to get on with it today because I've got one of my best friends in the world on this podcast. And the man that I'm about to bring on here, guys, we're about to help all you agents today because I'm done. My give a damn button broke a long time ago, and he is a supernova. This guy can do it all. You know, in baseball, they call him a five-tool player. A five-tool player can do it all. Throw, hit, run, catch, do it all. This guy's a supernova. He's an author. He's a speaker. He's one of my best friends. He, if you want to get the hay down where the goats can get it and you're with a state organization, state association, call this guy. He'll get the damn hay down where they can get to it. I can promise you that. He is the CEO and agency founder at Florida Risk Partners. He is the founder of what my opinion, my opinion, the best commercial training in the industry, which by the way, might have to touch on this for a minute because I think it's about to even get better. Killing Commercial. If you don't know what that is, Killing Commercial, all you got to do is Google it. He's written the extra two minutes. He's written a book called The Dirty 130. I've got both the book and the workbook, and I've given all that to my employees. Guaranteed you that I haven't even touched it. It's probably sitting in the collecting desk at their office. Dust, excuse me. Married to the beautiful Annie, who's also a friend of mine. Grayson, Carolyn, Ethan, Ethan, listen, Ethan. I want you to especially listen to what I'm about to tell you in a minute. And Landon are his kids. Now, kids, listen to me. Grayson, too. You're not going to care anything about this podcast. Maybe Grayson might listen to it because Grayson works with David. But I want you all to do me a favor. Mean more to him than anything you could do. Any presents you could ever buy him. I want you to do Uncle Scott a favor. I want you to go up to your daddy, hug his neck, and tell him how proud you are of him and how much you love him. And that would mean more to him than any kind of present you could ever buy him. I could promise you that. And let me let me tell you something else, guys. Listen, listen to me. It's the truth. He's done as much or more in his life than 
99.999% of people I know, and you should be very proud of him. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to bring on this podcast a great American and a friend of mine, Mr. David Carruthers. How are you, David? I'm good, man, and I was doing great until I had to stop and my brain started hemorrhaging when we were talking about mattress stores because the one question <laughs> I've always had is, why are they open at 10 o'clock at night? Those bastards are open until all, all hours of the night. Masters, There's one guy sitting in the corner. It's just, it blows my Have mind. Have you seen the conspiracy theory online with mattress firm and how some big cities, there'll be a mattress firm like a quarter mile from another mattress 100%, firm? 100%. It's all mattress stores are a front for something else. Yeah. Go go on TikTok and type in mattress firm tonight. You'll go down a rabbit hole. People will map them on Google Maps, and there'll be like four. But haven't they? Haven't hasn't like the the Fed the Feds investigated like whether these are actual mattress stores or are they really a, a front for washing money? Basically, I don't know. Well, you know the thing is, man, they got a lot of coin because they're putting like high priced ads in the newspaper every week. They're all over TV, so they got to be making money somewhere. I'm just I I honestly don't know a single person that has ever gone in there and bought a mattress ever. Hundred percent, and I watched the the series Ozark. So the only thing I can figure is somehow they're washing money through these mattress stores somehow. I don't know. It's a depressing I don't know. show. I don't know. I like depressing shows like that. Hey guys, I want to listen listen to this. So two months ago, David and I and Bradley are on this little Facebook ma- uh, messenger chat group, and I had an epiphany, and we started talking about it. And Bradley said this would be a great podcast because I did a video, and the video went like this. I had an agent call me one day and or text me and she said something about, I don't think you ought to call so-and-so because they're going to get mad about it and blah, blah, blah. And, it, and, it, and I'd had this on my mind for two years. So my agency, my agents and my agency, they're, they're, they're good agents. They are, they do a good job, but we bat about 500 in terms of, you know, we're good, but we're not great. And I kept wondering like, what, what's the problem? What is the, what is this? What is the problem? Why aren't we better than we are? And it finally dawned on me when she sent me that text because it kind of pissed me off what she said. And I said this on this group chat, chat, and I thought the next time Bradley and I podcast, I want to get David on here to talk about this because he added to what I said. Thank you, David. I said, our problem is I don't have anybody that has the audacity to be great. I don't have somebody that has the audacity to say, you know what? I don't care what somebody says back to me. I'm going to call that company that I've driven by a hundred times and thought, I wonder who has their insurance. David, would you like to expand on that for me for just a moment? Well, I think it's interesting, man, because audacity is a word that probably a lot of people use, but they never really thought about what it means. Right. Right, Like, so in order to really get your arms around what you're, what you're articulating here, I think it's really important that we, actually define audacity so i in anticipation of us chatting about this today jumped on to you know where every everybody goes now dictionary.com right back in the old days man we had the old webster's dictionary with the uh the tabs for the different letters and all of that so you could look everything up now you just type it in dictionary.com but audacity is does is defined as the boldness or daring here's the here is the kicker especially with confident or arrogant disregard for personal safety, Mm. conventional thought, or other restrictions. So it's not that you're just bold or daring. You take it to a completely different level. You have complete disregard, whether it be through confidence or arrogance, for your own personal safety, for (laughs) conventional thought, or for other restrictions. And when you think about it, man, that's exactly who I want. That's who I want on the streets Every single day. I don't need them putting themselves in harm's way physically. That's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about, you know, for everybody out there is audacity is making yourself get real uncomfortable and doing the same thing over and over again until you're comfortable doing it. Then you become confident. And once you become confident, you become deadly. You're a silent assassin on the streets at that point. But if you think about it, how many people who truly possess audacity have call reluctance today? Right. Not a, not a single one. No. No, they may have had it at some point in their career, but they don't have it anymore. How many people who have that type of audacity 
you know, get a little bit sheepish about walking in and a gatekeeper maybe telling them, no, not, not, not today. Today's not good. It doesn't make any sense. No, they're not. You know who one of the most audacious people is that I know? Kyle Halk, mm. my top producer. Yeah. Yeah. My top producer. Let me tell you how much audacity that guy has more than me. We were walking in. Kyle had just started with me. Probably, and I may even have told this story before to you guys. I don't know that I've told it on your podcast, but he started working with me. And about a month in, we went out to go do cold call marketing drops together. And we go to walk into a place and there's a no soliciting sign out front. And I look at it and I'm like, all right, man, they got to sign up. Let's not go. And he's like, don't worry about it. I got this. I'm like, look, man, you know, brand awareness. We don't want to give people bad taste. And he goes, look, man, everybody's got a no soliciting sign. It's pretty much common practice. You ignore him at this point. He said, I trust me. I know how to handle this. I'm like, all right, well, I hired the guy. I might as well trust him to do his job. So we walk in and this lady, man, if you, if you could have gone to dictionary.com or Google images and asked for a representation of a gatekeeper, this would have been her man. No glasses down on the nose, looking over the top of them at us. Doesn't even barely look, lift her head up. And points towards the door and says, y'all know we got a sign out front, right? Without hesitation, Kyle reaches into his briefcase, pulls out a no soliciting sign, and hands it to her and says, yeah, that one's broken. That's why I brought you a new one. Maybe this one will work on the next guy. And she absolutely loses it, man. She just starts dying laughing. I can't think of a more accurate description of audacity in a cold caller than that right there. Yep. That's right. So let's keep going with this. So I told you in the video that I posted on that Facebook message group that a lot of the most successful insurance agents I have ever met, their give a damn button just seems to be broken. Like they, they just don't care. They'll call anybody. They'll walk in anywhere. They'll do whatever. So to add to audacity, what what else do you feel like a producer, an agent has to have to kind of, I guess, become that five-tool player that we're all looking for or that we want to be to become a great insurance producer? You know, it, it's funny because when you brought this up, I was actually in the same frame of mind. I was working on a blog post and audacity was not one of the words that I had, it was something similar, but audacity is a much better word. But other things that I was thinking of were coachability. You got to be coachable. You know, the, the very best producers out there are still working on themselves every single day. They want to know more. They want to learn more. They read, they do whatever they need to do to sharpen the skills of their craft. The other one um, that we, and we can get into these in more detail, but another one that I had come up with was tenacity. Right. If you have audacity with tenacity, it's game over for anybody that's trying to compete against you. Right. Because now you not only have the confidence, but you have the drive and you have the desire to be out there and doing those things every single day. I think another one, you know, and and I was typically I'll go with if if I'm going to talk about something that ends in ITY, I'm going to stick with ITY. So Relatability is another one that I think is really big. Um, I think it's really, really important that you have that because if you are an audacious individual, being relatable is something you may struggle with. You may be perceived as arrogant, overconfident. And I think you really have to make sure you're in tune with yourself before you go in. I know that this is something, I'm not going to say that I struggle with it, but I know that it's something that it's a perception that people can have. They automatically think that because I have confidence in what I do, that I'm an arrogant prick and probably not relatable, which is the furthest thing from the truth. I can relate to almost everybody, you know, at this point, because I've lived all over the Eastern half of the U S I've worked a a bunch of different jobs over my lifetime. And I'm actually, if I were to tell you something that I'm really, that I feel I'm really, really good at, at the point of sale, I can find common ground with almost anybody under yeah. 10 seconds. I, I would say you are the definition of relatable in that sense. And to kind of, you might not want me to say this, but what was that fancy restaurant you were at a couple weeks ago? Was Which one, Bradley? I only dined at fine establishments. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the knife and spoon. Where It was the, in Chicago. Well, we went to, um, we went to Michael Jordan's. 
Not that we one. We went to the, the Chicago the club. Chicago we went club. To get, Chicago the one club. we went to with Doug and Liz. And, oh, yeah. I had no business in, a, in there. You're in a group text with me and Scott going through just like the funniest of funniest frat house jokes <laughs> and videos back and forth while at the Chicago club. Yeah. And I have no doubt you were working both audiences. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, man. You have to be, you know, and you can do that and be authentic. I think the problem is that we get so caught up in being worried about validating that we we lose our authenticity because we're selling out to the sale. Here's the thing. People are going to do business with people they know, like, and trust. We all know that. That's one of the most cliche things out there in the, in the sales game. But what we miss is the fact it's okay to be yourself. I say it all the time when I'm training producers. CFOs watch Tommy Boy, too. You know, one of my tricks, and it is a trick, I do it intentionally, I will drop movie quotes in a new business presentation when I'm sitting in a conference room with absolute confidence it's not going to get me in trouble because they're either going to laugh, which lets me know they're my people, or it's going to go over their head and I didn't do any damage anyhow. Right. But I think it's really important that you, that it's okay to be that way. I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot of people out there that are just so... They like to get heavy starch on the dress shirts when they drop them off at the cleaners, Scott. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, I'm a no starch guy. Right. So I've written down three more. So far, we've covered number one, audacity. Number two, they're coachable. They want to learn. They want to grow. Number three, tenacity, which I I classify that as kind of grit, determination, grit, tenacity. They're not going to stop. They're going to keep going. They have the they have that whatever inside them to not just, you know, stop when things get tough. Number four, relatable. They're able to connect with people. They have that outgoing, what I call salesperson personality. And the older I get, the more I can quickly identify people as that person's a salesperson or they're not. Because, you know, we meet people all the time, or at least I do. And I know you do as well, David. You're like, oh, you don't need to be in sales. I can already tell you hate people. If you don't like people, sales is probably not the game you need to be in, right? I mean, let's just face facts there. But then or, I got or they, or they like people, but they're they're so worried about getting through every corporate buzzword in a sales presentation yeah. to make sure they hit all the hot buttons. You know that they it's just it, it's unbecoming of a salesperson to be overly salesy too. I think right. that you can be both ends of the spectrum. You can either not like people that much and be really, really technically sound. We call those people underwriters in our industry. And uh, then <laughs> just yeah. kidding. Underwriters. We love you. I promise it was a joke. <laughs> or you could be the overly syrupy. Oh, let's unpack this and see if we can't demonstrate value. I mean, come on guys. Let's, yeah. let's just shoot straight with people. Let's know what we're talking about. Let's get it to the point that they understand what we're talking about. And now all of a sudden you've got a conversation inst instead of a commercial. Right. So the next three that I've written down, Great salespeople are able to think fast on their feet. I've noticed that about people that are great in sales. They 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 have that ability. Yeah, I would say think fast on their feet. They can they just have I don't know what it is, but they just kind of have that. The next two, knowledgeable. I've always said this on this podcast, competence equals confidence. You know, uh you might have been a great high school quarterback, but I can promise you this. Go uh, never have played quarterback in NFL before. Go suit up and go out in the Tampa Bay Stadium and try to play starting quarterback without any practice and see how that works for you. You're, you're going to get murdered. So competence equals confidence. The more you know about the products and services that you're selling, the more confident you're going to seem and be, and probably your chances of selling something are going to increase. Same goes for your competition. I think that's one of the things you do an excellent job of, David. Not only do you know about your products and services and what you represent, who you are, but you also probably know a lot about what they got right now. So you can say, oh, <laughs> let me tell you about what you got right there, big boy, because it's not what you need. You do you do some of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you're, what you're basically saying is good salespeople are prepared. Like, I don't know, you know, yeah, I think I feel like I'm somewhat quick on my feet. I'm pretty quick-witted. You say something to me yeah. smart, I'm going to have a smart comeback, but in reality when I'm in a sales the sales presentation, I don't necessarily know it has as much to me has as much to do with me being quick on my feet as it has to do with the fact I went into the meeting 
prepared for the meeting. Right. I anticipated what could come at me. And I had those answers planned before ever I walked in. Doesn't mean that I can't get hit with something as a surprise or whatever else. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to be prepared when you walk in. And that goes back to being coachable and, and continuously learning and everything else. Right. Last one I wrote down here, great salespeople that I've known typically have great communication skills. I know I just seem like some redneck from Alabama, but when I need to, I can stop what I'm doing and I, I can write without sounding like a third grader. Have you ever hired somebody and they send you your first email and it looks like a fourth grader wrote it and you're like, oh, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. I think it was Mike Stromso makes in his interview process, makes people write an email to him that just states why they want to work there. Now he doesn't care why they want to work there. He wants to see how they write, you know, how well they write when they write an email, because you can lose a lot of altitude with an underwriter or client. If it sounds like a fourth grader wrote the email that they just sent to them. Same with speaking. I think, uh, I told my son one time, I said, man, I wish instead of doing all this other bullshit in school, you'd join the debate club. I think being able to debate, and, ha you know, think quickly on your feet, but be able to communicate your idea to somebody to try to change their mind in some way. I think that could help in sales. I really do what, think that. What was his reaction to that? Hell no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, you, the other thing it does is it teaches you to control your emotions when you're in a pressure cooker. 100%. You know, it's not that you're just 100%. making and arguing your point, but you're doing it without getting pissed off and wanting to throw something at the person across right. the table from you. Yeah. So great communication skills can also include you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk thing about EQ, emotional intelligence, being able to read people, being able to understand and realize by their body language that whatever they're, you're saying, you're going to have to change your delivery. I think, I think this is like a pot of chili in that there's a lot of ingredients that go into a great salesperson, but I think some of the things we just touched on are part of what make up a great salesperson. And then here comes the big reveal. The other thing I've noticed about a lot of these people that match these criteria that we just gave, David, is a lot of times these people are also the ones that work with you for three or four years and then go, you know what? I want to go out on my own and do my own thing. Yep. So you got to get all right with that, either figuring that out on how you're going to bring them in as a partner, or maybe they do need to go out on their own and do their own thing. What are your thoughts? Well, I want to say one more thing, and it actually kind of goes to this point. The other thing that I would add to a good a good producer, good salesperson is that they're resourceful. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think anybody starts out strong in every single one of those things. And we may not be strong in every single one of those things by the time we retire. But what we do know how to do is if we don't know something or we want to get better at it, we become resourceful with it. So to your point, if I have a problem writing an email, or let's just say I have a problem writing an email with main, while maintaining my cool, right? Because I I know it's going to be a huge surprise. I can have a short fuse at times, right? So there's a lot of times where I'll sit down and I'll bang an email out on the keyboard only to hit delete. Right. I won't ever send it, but it makes me feel better. Well, we have chat GPT now. Right. So I could go in and key in a prompt. If I'm not a good writer, that's fine. I don't have to be a good writer to be a good storyteller. If somebody's going to base hiring me on how I write an email, why wouldn't I just go into chat GPT, put in what I want it to say and say, please write this in the form of a professional email. Right. And it spits it out. And all of a sudden I look like a superstar. Now, sure. if you got Stromzo over my shoulder looking to make sure I'm actually writing it, that's a different story. But I'll take the guy that's resourceful enough to figure out how to get the job done. If they don't have the skill set 10 out of 10 times over a guy that can write a good email because he probably sucks at a lot of other things. Right. I, I literally tweeted this morning, David, on the way here. I tweeted something to the effect of that resourcefulness is a very underappreciated skill that is also disproportionately valued in the marketplace. Yeah. And what gave me that idea or what I'm in a, a Facebook group, it's not an insurance Facebook group, but it's generally successful people in this group or, or people that are making things happen. And it's a, uh, I can't, I can't remember the name of the group, but it's a group. There's like, there's some hitters in this group. Like I stay really quiet yeah. in the group. And yeah, if and, you're like me, you're afraid they're going to kick you out. Yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. And Somebody posted in the group, and I don't mean to like shame this person or anything like that, but somebody posted in the group 
something to the effect of they wanted to get new business cards and needed someone to digitize the business cards for them. And the, the post just looked really desperate. And I was like, man, I could not imagine being that not resourceful. Yeah. Like G O O G L E. Yeah. Use it. Fiverr. Like, the, right. it, like to the point that, and it was like a last ditch effort. I really need somebody to do that. And I'm like, yeah. dude, like, and, and it kind of hit me. I was at a red light and I was like, man, it's like resourcefulness is a, and, and we we value that heavily at Portal. And to be honest with you, a lot of the people who haven't worked out here lack that resourcefulness. Needed a lot of handholding. You, you can't teach that. Yeah, they did a lot of handholding. Well, yeah. here's the thing, though. is Scott knows, because he was with me on my birthday. I turned 50 yeah. recently. Bradley, there's a pretty good-sized gap between your age and mine, you know, even though we're just as good of friends as if we were both 50. Right. Isn't it weird how that changes when you get out of high school? You don't right. care what how old people are anymore. You yeah. know, you're just friends with people for being who they are. Right. But, you know, I would say Bradley's generation and younger, one of the things that I respect about them the most is that they are resourceful, but they're not afraid to act on that. And here's what I mean by that. I study a lot of the people that are much, much younger than me because I know I need to know how they think and what their moves are going to be if I want to remain relevant five, 10 years down the road. So I can either turn a blind eye to it and ride off into the sunset on the glide path, or I can put the pedal to the metal and keep running with the bulls as long as I possibly can. I prefer the latter. Yeah. But what I what I respect and appreciate about the, these young young men and women that are that are in the maybe early 30s to late 20s to even early 20s and certainly Grayson's age band falls into this as well is they know what they're good at and what they're not like they yeah. know what they are really really qualified to do and that's what they're going to focus time on doing and the things that they're not good at they're going to outsource and they understand that comes with a cost but if that cost is justifiable and makes sense by freeing them up to focus on the aspect of the business, they're the best at running. They're going to end up with a much better top line and a much better bottom line. Like that's why I outsource anything CFO related. I don't want anything to do with the financial end of my company. I can go out and make it rain, but I also got a bit of a spending problem. If we want to be honest, I could go out and buy pretty much anything. Bradley's seen it in the flesh, right? But at the end of the day, you know, I need somebody to, to mind that end of my business. I'm good with the producers. I'm good with the top end, but you know, listen, here's another practical example. Institute of work comp professionals, Kevin ring. I know what they teach. I understand their sales strategies. I understand the methodology behind it. I understand all of that stuff. Could I teach that to my producers? Absolutely. Why don't I do that? Because it's cheaper for me to let him do it. It's every good bit is good or better than what I can. But if I don't have the time or if my time is at a premium, I'm always going to look and say, okay, how much time is it going to take me? How much does it cost? This is a no brainer. We're going to outsource this a hundred percent of the time. Too many agents are out there screwing off trying to figure out Google ads and Facebook ads and all this other crap. They have no business trying to understand, and they're wasting time growing their business because they want to be digital marketers and not insurance producers. It's kind of like the agent that goes in the Facebook group and says, I need a market for an axe throwing business. Like I, I think you should only try to write something like that if you want to go into a niche. Yeah, yeah if you're going to write 100 of them. Yeah. Agents who try to write everything that comes at them, like, no, like if you're trying to, there's nothing wrong with learning how to write a specific niche as long as you're going into this. It's kind of the same thing. You know what I mean? There's there's no need in learning how to do digital marketing unless you're really going to go into it or learning how to be the CFO. And I think too many people trying to do too many things is what bottlenecks people. But I'll say something on the spending. So we're in New York and we're at lunch. Yeah. And everybody's about to leave. I was yeah. there, wasn't I? Yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah, okay. Everybody's about to leave and go do stuff. And me and Laurel are deciding what we want to do. And I hear David say to somebody, me and Annie are going to Cartier on Fifth Avenue. And I looked at Laurel and I said, we got to go. <laughs> I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to watch this. Hey, David, let me ask you a question. M mostly because I knew they were going to treat you like royalty and I wanted to see how it went. <laughs> 
Well, let me tell you something, Scott. If you ever wanted to know what it looks like when Bradley Flowers craps his pants, you should have seen what his face looked like when his wife had an $85,000 bracelet hanging off of her arms. <laughs> she put this bracelet on, and it looked like a uh, a nail that's about mm -hmm. a foot long mm -hmm. in a circle right. around her wrist. And we were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's nice. We walked away, and we're looking somewhere else, you know. And David walks up, and he says, you know how much that bracelet was? I said, how much? He said, $85,000. I was like, oh, my gosh. But the best part of the whole thing was when you guys were sitting in the little consulting room, and Annie looked over at you and handed you your phone and said, hey, will you DoorDash McDonald's over to the kids? <laughs> hey, we are who we are, man. You remember that? <laughs> hey, we, I, hey, we're like lotto winners, brother. That's how we roll up in here. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Bradley. Look, are you tired of spending endless hours searching for potential business prospects? Look no further. With Leo, you can gain access to a whopping 40 million businesses. That's 40 million prospects in just seconds. Say goodbye to painstaking searches and hello to efficiency. You guys know I'm all about efficiency. Leo just isn't about speed, though. It's about accuracy, too. With Leo's cutting-edge tools, you can validate new producers faster than ever before. No more wasted time on unreliable data. Leo's got you covered. But that's not all. Leo empowers you to carve your own niche market using unparalleled data insights. Want to target specific dates for workers' comp? Done. Need to identify brokers or carriers to focus on? Leo has your back. And here's the icing on the cake, guys. Leo lets you search prospects based on size, revenue, dates, violations, and more. The possibilities are literally endless. Step into a world of business possibilities with Leo. Revolutionize the way you connect, target, prospect, and succeed. Don't miss out. Join the Leo community today. Go to meetleo.com, and when you go to book a demo or reach out to them, put in the how did you hear about us field that you heard about them on the Insurance Guys podcast or IGP for short. You'll get 20% off. Talk to the folks at Leo. Highly recommend them. Thanks, guys. Well, hello there. Guys, excuse me for interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast, but I'm here today to get you out of aggregator and cluster jail. This may be the most important message I've ever delivered on the Insurance Guys podcast. Guys, are you a member of a cluster or an aggregator? Does your contract have exit fees, termination payments, buyback provisions? It's time to get your freedom back and do what we did here at iProtect Insurance. Join the AC, the future of aggregators in our industry. Best decision we've ever made, guys. Best decision we've ever made. No entry fees, small $200 a month membership fee, over 50-plus carriers for direct appointments. And by the way, new ones coming on board each and every month. You keep 100% of your commissions, profit sharing every year. Guys, we have made in the last two years, each year, our agency has made over $100,000 in profit sharing. Here's the best part, guys. And this is the part I'm the most passionate about. No termination or exit fees. You give the AC 60 days notice and you're free. You go get direct appointments wherever you want. There's no buyback provisions, no exit clauses. Guys, if you're a member of another aggregator, and you have termination fees, buyback provisions, exit clauses, every single policy you write, you're digging that hole just a little bit deeper. And one day you're not going to be able to get out of it. It's going to be too much. You're going to be taking out a second mortgage on your home to try to get out of a cluster group. Unbelievable. Guys, go to acfree.org. That's acfree.org and register. Find out why over 650 agencies and $3 billion in premium have chosen the AC. And guys, here's the best part. But wait, there's more. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast when you talk to these guys and you get six months. That's six months of no membership fee just by mentioning the Insurance Guys podcast. Go today, www.ac.com cfree.org and let me help you get your freedom back. Have a great day. Hey, David, uh, you mentioned, you know, people Bradley and, and, and down to, you know, Grayson's age and their ability to 
know what they're good at, know what they're not good at, but be willing to, you know, spend the money to, to have somebody else do what they're not good at. How did that come to pass versus our generation? Like how did they, how did they, you know, we, we kind of missed that trait. We'll, we'll damn try to do anything. I, 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 I told some other day, I said, if you give me a YouTube video, I can probably fly the spaceship dis- discovery. If you'll just give me a YouTube video on how to do it. How did, how did they get that trait? How did we miss that trait? And by the way, there's a bit of audacity in the viewing of that YouTube video and with absolute confidence thinking you can do that. But I did the same thing, man. Change the heating element in my dryer. I have have every ability to pay an appliance repair person to come out and do it. Right. But I wanted wanted the challenge to do it myself. Watch the video, did it, figured it out, and it was easy to to do. You know, here's the thing, man. You, You touched on something that I think is really, really important, and it does tie into this. You know, I feel like, if you have producers, you better know how they're wired because, you know, some producers are perfectly fine producing. That's all they ever want to do mm. to me. And this is my own, my own opinion. The absolute best producers are also entrepreneurial. Okay. They, they have the entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. And here's the thing. I have a firm belief. You can't declare yourself an entrepreneur. You either are, or you aren't. You can't just go out and start a bunch of businesses and fail at them and say, I'm an, I'm a serial entrepreneur. You either have it or you don't have it. The best start multiple things. Look at Elon Musk. We're crying out loud. This guy has started how many things that are ultra successful. When you have an entrepreneurial producer, they got to be able to scratch the itch, man. And if you don't give them the environment to do that in your agency, they're going to go do it for themselves. That's why I have an agency. I'm very entrepreneurial. I had to scratch the itch. It wasn't getting scratched. I launched my own agency to do it. When I did, I had, you know, I th- I do think that sometimes you have that oh crap moment where it's like, okay, now what did I get myself into? Yeah. And you have to sit back and say, okay, there's no way that this ship is going to float if I'm trying to do everything by myself. Let's look at all of the issues we have right now. And what's the easiest way for me to solve this problem in the most economical fashion? And you step back and you start looking at that stuff. I think the problem is we were too tight with the checkbook, man. The guys our age didn't want to spend the money because we had too much pride. We thought we could do it. We could. We thought we could watch a YouTube video and run the movie or run run the agency. And we found out that's probably not the best way to do it. I think that the fact that they realized, and the other thing is you have to be okay understanding that 30% of something is better than 100% of nothing, Mm. right? Here's what I mean by that. One of the ways I scaled my book of business was through a bank joint venture that we had at the agency that I was at. Now, our commission splits were normally 40 new, 25 renewal. But if I did bank business, then the bank got eight, they got seven and a half points from me and seven and a half points from the house. So they got 15 new, 10 renewal. I only got 32 and a half points, okay, instead of 40. Nobody in the agency wanted bank leads but me. And I took them. And the reason I took them is because when you showed up on one of those bank leads, you literally were handing an agent a record letter over to that client because the banker had already sold the deal for you. They They told their client, look, this is who we use. It's who we recommend. You know, we highly, you know, it, it was, there was nothing to it and I'll never forget it. But at the end of the year, I had a, you know, I was top producer in the agency by like literally a mile. There there was nobody within 300,000 in revenue of me. And they came up and said, how did you do this? How did you get so much revenue? And I said, it's real simple. I figured out 32 and a half percent of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. And you're not taking any of these leads, but I'm not spending a ton of time on them. You're not beating your head against the ground trying to get 40% when I can walk in the front door, spend 15 minutes, walk out with 32 and a half, then I'm on to the next deal. Right? So I think part of it has to be you understanding what the over overall financial implications are to you, either your own budget or your organization's budget and being willing to accept less to ultimately have more. That's uh, it. It's 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 a, it's a temporary step of like why do you think I really enjoy writing a check to outsourced bookkeeping and outsourced agency management system consulting and all these other things? I I don't like it because it's money leaving my operation, but I also know what the alternative is. It's a bad performing staff 
it's not hitting our numbers or it's me trying to cobble something together that's not going to be anywhere near as good as the pro. And I think it all boils down to if you want to have a team of pros, you need to have some of those internal and you need to have the absolute best in class people that are doing the outsourced stuff for you too. And that gives a very cohesive front to anybody Mm -hmm. when you're at the point of sale out there. Mm. Well, I think there's so many advantages that big companies have having the in-house CFO or the, the, the in-house marketing and that sort of thing. You need to use these outsourced services to help yourself do that in the same capacity and something that happened a couple of weeks ago, one of our producers in Atlanta came to visit the office for a couple of days and I uh, was taking him back to the airport and I was on the phone and I hung up and he said, who is that? And I said, oh, it was Kerry Wallace, our CFO. And he's like, man, you really run this like a company, don't you? I said, if we're going to be that one day, why not do it now? You know what I mean? 100%. 100%, man. A lot of the negative uh, and some of the millennial, anti-millennial talk has, has settled down the last few years, but... A couple of years ago, a buddy of mine made a point. He's like, I think a lot of the negativity towards millennials, these millennials don't want to work and that sort of that sort of stuff. He's like, the millennial generation is so much more efficient than the generation before us that a lot of times that's translated incorrectly by the generation before us. Well, I could see, you know, my dad, maybe your dad looking at me outsourcing. Ah, oh, that kid that never worked a day in his life. He's hiring somebody else in to come do his job for him. That's the mentality Yep. when in reality it's, well, yeah, I am. And even if that's the case, I'm making 30 bucks an hour to do nothing, you know? So who's uh, the idiot. But if if you look, if you look at these, these, I don't want to say kids cause they're not kids, but they're much younger than what we are. Scott every night, like I have a gap in my sleep of one to three or two to four. And literally that entire time about the only thing I can do without disrupting the entire house is lay in bed and watch TikTok reels and Instagram reels. And I learn what all these marketing things are going on and all of this. And then I, you know, I see the stuff that I forward to Bradley and the rest of them that I find to be humorous that are probably inappropriate, but whatever. But I I flag that stuff and I flip it over to Grayson because you'll see these guys that are literally, they've got four or five different side hustles. They're managing this enterprise from a high level, but other people are running everything else for them. And they may be getting 30% off the top over here, 20% over here, 30% over here, but they're making so much money. And guess what else they're doing? They're traveling the world. They're spending time with their family. And here's here's the other thing I think that's really important, and, and it's interesting because this is not how the old guard thought, but this is exactly how these people think. They're just going to come to work with you if you have a job that pays them a good wage. That yeah. it's not, that those days are gone. They want to know what you're doing in your community. What are you doing for the environment? What are you doing to make a difference and help other people? And that is a big deal, man. Like I think that when we interview people, you know, I've I've picked up on this pretty quick. I I shifted. And instead of talking about all of the insurance and risk management stuff, I talked about it from a perspective of, well, the best thing that we do is we help people when nobody else is around to help them. Right. And you can go into it from there because it's they want the sense of purpose. And I don't know where that comes from other than I feel like up until now, and I do feel like we're kind of at a point, to your point, where people aren't really talking about millennials the way they used to, but I feel like we're at a point now where you know, everybody up until a certain age, that's what we grew up with. We grew up with that, you know, that gruff father or the uncle or whatever. Oh, you never met an honest day's work in your life, kid, or whatever. And and that's how we've been judged when in reality, you know, I think my generation, because we were used to that and our kids come from the other, it's a little easier for me to be open-minded about that stuff. You know, I, I love hearing what Grayson and his friends talk about what they're doing. It helps me stay in tune with it. That's one of the reasons why, we literally buy every single UFC pay-per-view right. and we have it at our house. I want them over there because I just sit, I'll sit up late, watch the fights with them, but I'm listening to what they're talking about the whole time. Sometimes need a translator, but that's okay. You know, they got their own little language and secret code they talk in, but I'm hearing about the things that they're doing from a business perspective or what they're doing with their money or the trips that they want to take, or even just seeing how they think about long-term plans And here's the thing, man, I got married at 22. You know, the first time I was married, I got married at 22. I had no business being married at 22 years old, none. But I was raised in a family 
where you grew up in church, you got young, married young, you had your kids, you know, you never got divorced. And, and that's the worst thing that ever could have happened is I had that pressure to think I had to behave that way. Whereas now, you know, we're sitting at dinner last night celebrating Grayson's 21st birthday. And my mom and dad are saying, oh, you got a girlfriend? You have anybody? And he's like, no, I really don't have time to dedicate to that right now. I'd rather make sure that I can commit to the relationship both emotionally and financially before mm. I bring anybody else in. I'm like, what the? You got to be kidding me, man. 21 and you're thinking that way? Right. I bet that just blew your parents' mm. mind, didn't it? <clears throat> well, I can assure you this. It wasn't because of good parenting on my end. He somehow read a book somewhere, I'm sure, <laughs> that got him to think that way. You yeah. know, you know, David, you and I, you're I'm 51, you're 50. You know, we grew up like feral cats. You know, in the summertime, your mom would tell you to go outside out. and play and lock the damn door when you walked outside at eight o'clock in the morning. But we we do have a very unique generation in that we were the first ones to be inducted into the internet and technology in around 94, 95 time frame. So we, we know just enough about technology to be dangerous. My wife was, I was doing something for her the other day on the computer and she's like, damn, you're, you're actually pretty good with this technology stuff. And I said, yeah, don't tell anybody, but I, I know enough to be dangerous. Now, the difference in my opinion between our generation and Bradley's generation is that now because they've grown up with it you know, from the time they came out of the womb, they know so much more about it than we do, or at least I do. But we we are very different in that we, and maybe that goes back to why we try to do everything, because the way we were raised like feral cats, we just expected that, you know, you're going to figure it out. You know, you're going to, you just, your mom and dad just kind of threw you out there and said, go. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why we're yeah. that way. My uh, my ten year old texted me talking about translator. My ten year old sick at home by herself to or not by herself. She's with her mom, but without me. And she uh, I said, "How are you feeling?" She said, "Word," and then she followed it up with "Word equals good." Huh. And I was like, "Thanks for the the lesson in slang there, sweetheart." Hey, thanks for bringing that one back from the mid eighties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Hey, I got one last question. I'll let you go. Uh, you have a front row seat right now. Speaking of Grayson, you have a front row seat to see a 21-year-old kid that's now in your agency. Y'all are working pretty close together side by side a lot of days. What What's one thing you've learned from him besides some of the um, things you just mentioned? No, that that's actually a really good question, man. And I've been learning from him for 21 years. He was the one that, put, that made me a dad first. So we wow. have the most experience in that relationship. But – I think that that one of the things that I've learned more than anything else is just to have patience. Yeah. I, I don't always do the best job with that at the house. Um, I, I, I've been far more patient with things here. Not that. And, and let me be very clear. He's he's brilliant. Like there's absolutely nothing that he's done that, that you know, would make him look like a, an idiot. But, you know, it's it's just taking the time to explain something and then having the patience to answer all the follow-up questions, maybe have to explain it again or whatever. Like that really, really tests me. The other thing is I would say, um, and I, I talk about this even on, on our own podcast all the time, we have to be collaborative instead of controlling. Like we can't, you know, agency principles, the days of the agency principle, controlling everything, not sharing information, not including people in decisions and all of that are gone. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate uh, the fact that I can ask questions, get his perspective and even other people. Cause he's listen, man, if you look at the demographic of my agency, uh, it's me and Nicole, everybody else is under 35, man. Mm -hmm. Like it's mm -hmm. like literally my whole team is almost that age. And to your point, I, I do think part of it has to do with the fact we grew up with the internet being developed. So I right. tend to recognize trends or see opportunities in places just because I saw how all of that's developed, but, right. you know, really, you know, just including him and others in decision-making and honestly not being afraid to take their recommendation over your own and actually implement it when it's better. Right. That's cool. 
that's going to be very interesting. My son is 16. I don't know what he'll do when he gets a little older. People have mentioned to me that he said something about possibly one day coming in as part of, you know, being a part of our agency. That'll be interesting if that happens. But he's got a long way to go before he gets there. And obviously, he's going to start at the bottom and work his way up to the top if that's where he wants to go. But I have a lot of people, man. A lot of people ask me, yeah. you know, they, they look on the outside and they see that Grayson and I do have a good relationship. That's not an act, that's not a front. Right. You know, we, we have a good relationship. They, oh, I've they seen said, it I want firsthand. This. I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. I, I want this with my kids. I want yeah. to be able to bring my kids into the agency. How did you do it? Here's my advice to everybody who wants that. Don't ever talk about it. Right. Don't ever bring it up. Yep. Don't ever mention it. Yep. Live your life the right way. Run your business the right way. Have the work-life balance that allows you to be able to be present, period. When Grayson came to me and asked me, why or told me he wanted to come into the agency. I had one question. I said, why do you want to come work at the agency? And he said, dad, because we always took good vacations. We eat at nice restaurants. You, you know, you coach teams. You were always at my games. You're always at gymnastics practice and everything else. And he said, that's what I, that's what I want when I have my own family. I want to be able to have that flexibility and be able to do those things. And I looked at him and I said, then I've done my job. Yeah, because if he would have come to me and said money, he wouldn't have come in. I wouldn't have let that happen. He would have needed right. to go out, get kicked in the teeth by life a little bit and realize there's more to it than just making money. And and then we could have had the conversation again. But there was never a time where I put pressure on him. There was never a time that it was ever my idea. I let it be his idea and I let him be the lead, the leader in the dance party. And yeah. as long as you do that and you can surrender to yourself enough to let that happen, that's really good, uh, a really good precursor for what the rest of that relationship's going to look like when it's official. Hey, David, before we let you go, talk about these uh, industry manuals you guys are creating. Dude, we got some cool stuff, man. So one of the things... this Hey, by the way, this is Killing Commercial, right? We're talking about? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So inside Killing Commercial, you know, we've always had the sales process stuff where we're teaching people how to sell, you know, not necessarily insurance, but finding pain points, how to close the deal, how to do your research and all of that. And I always get questions and I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching because that's part of what we do where people have specific risks they want to look at. And I finally realized, you know what, we got a lot of opportunity here. We need to figure out how we can take what we teach as a sales process tie it to a specific industry and create these producer game plans so that when they're going to go out and call on an electrical contractor or a plumber or a manufacturer, they can take this information and use it to prepare. Now we're not going at it from a, Hey, we're going to, we're going to quote 15 carriers and hope for the best. We're still going in under very much a risk management premise. And we're looking at six different classifications of risk inside any kind of company in any industry. We want to know physical, operational, financial, legal, and professional reputational. And I did it too fast. I forgot one environmental. Those, those are the six. And so we cover the, the risk management tactics that are used to address those, then the questions that a producer needs to ask that prospect to see how they're doing those things currently. We give an insurance coverage checklist, questions surrounding the insurance coverage checklist. Then we also give them a variety of claim scenarios that ultimately we're going to morph into marketing slicks that can be used in their drop packets that are going to give very specific claim scenarios to their industry, to that specific classification of risk. These things are not for the light, you know, the faint of heart. They're 75 to hundred pages each. So it's literally to your point, the encyclopedia Britannica of what you need to do to go in and write a manufacturer, but I can take this manual and I can hand it to somebody fresh out of school. That's never called on a prospect a day in their life. And between going through our sales process and preparing, using that game plan, they're going to be able to call on accounts. They never thought they'd call on and close them. And this is just for killing commercial agents, right? Yes. For now. If there's ever a reason to join. Hell, Kenneth could spend all lunch out there looking at one of those. Hey, he's probably read them already. Butterflies dance, flying around his head. He could just sit there and look at manuals all day. Meanwhile, my bunch looks like they just got back from fighting a fire in some apartment complex in New York City or something.
David, I love you, brother. You too, man. Hey, if they if anybody needs to reach out to you, they want to join Killing Commercial, they want to book you for a speaking engagement in Alaska or anywhere else, well, how do they get in touch with you? Well, if they're going to book me for a speaking engagement, they better bring their checkbook because I'm uh. off the road for two two years unless they make it very much worth my while. I got got a lot to catch up on with the family. But if you need me, you can find me on any social platform. I tell people all the time, if you send me a connection request, I'm going to accept it. I'm what they call a social swinger. I'll, I'll swing with anybody on social. So yep. uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, I'm on all of them. Or you can email me at david at killingcommercial.com and uh, I'll get back to you pretty much right away. Brother. Sounds good. Guys, as, as we end every podcast, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big bad world. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, and for your parents and your in-laws that are struggling out there. Go make money for them. Write good business for the agencies that you represent and write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Thanks, David. Love you, brother. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.